It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us there on our social media uh, platforms. We have a lot of people who uh, tune in, whether it's on YouTube or Twitter uh, or uh, Facebook uh, there. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. Subscribe there on YouTube. Click the little notification bell, and that way you'll get the uh, live stream when it automatically goes live. And then welcome to those also who are joining with us on our phone uh, live streaming. So uh, welcome to each one of those who are there. Uh, you can share those with each any, anybody that you want. Uh, even if you're here in person, you can do that also uh, to just share that, to heart it, to like it, and that'll just help to get the word out even more. Uh, we encourage you at home to go to the church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, under the info tab there is where you'll find today's worship bulletin, so be sure to get that uh, downloaded. Uh, if you're here in person and need one of those, our ushers will be glad to give you one. Uh, they're in the windowsills and back at the doors, so you can grab one of those. And then we also have our children's worship bulletins. Uh, those are in the windowsill to my right, and those are also under that info tab uh, on our church website there too. And then don't forget our prayer list. Uh, you can download that. There's quite a few uh, that are on our prayer list and some that we'll be adding uh, to even this morning. So I uh, just wanted to share that with you. Make sure you get those things downloaded. Uh, and it's so good to see everybody that's here in person this morning. Uh, glad that you're here with us too. And uh, we're looking forward to an exciting time of worship. Our choir is going to be singing a little bit later. Uh, so you'll be in prayer for us as we sing this morning too. So Brother Mike. Take your hymnals and actually stand. Let's, let's praise the Lord in standing and singing hymn number 197, Rejoice, the Lord is King. We're going to do all four verses, Tom. is key. 
Amen. And it's at this time that we come to our missionary of the week, which is Rick and Kelly Martinez. Uh, they are serving amongst the American peoples in Central America. Uh, they are actually developing a ministry there uh, to minister to people through traumatic experiences. Uh, they actually have a Bible study that they do that uh, seeks to go through uh, a series of weekly meetings for a total of uh, seven sessions for about four to six people. Uh, and God is opening up the opportunities there for them to share the gospel uh, there in Mexico. And so we just praise the Lord uh, for the ministry they have there in Mexico City. It's called New Hope. So we want to uplift the Martinez's this morning as well as all of our missionaries across the nation and around the world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. Thank you for those who have answered the call to go to the mission field uh, like the Martinez's uh, that we support every Sunday through our tithes and our offerings. Father, we just pray that your blessings will be upon them as they seek to minister to people who have gone through uh, all kinds of traumatic experiences. Father, I pray that you'll bring those people across their path and that they would be able to incorporate them into the Bible studies uh, that they're doing there. And so, Father, we ask your blessings upon them uh, in a special way this morning. All of our missionaries across North America and around the world, keep them safe, place a hedge of protection about them, but bless their ministries, Lord, uh, wherever they may be this morning as they're meeting in worship uh, before you. And so, Father, we just ask that as we come to worship you this morning too, uh, Lord, whatever cares or burdens that we may have brought uh, here with us this morning, we come and, and lay those things at the foot of the cross and ask, Lord, for you to lift those burdens off of us. We ask, Lord, for you to refresh us, to revive us, uh, Lord, to empower us with the power of the Holy Spirit. May your spirit be present even this morning, and may you speak to us in a powerful way through the message in song as well as the message in your word. And so we ask God for your blessings upon this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, it's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Let me just say a couple of quick things. Uh, don't forget that you can do your online giving there at hallowbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there, easy platform. You can set that up to do a one-time gift, recurring gift, as well as to designate to those special offerings. Uh, and so uh, be sure to do that. And then I wanted to share with you a, a thank you uh, so much. Uh, from the Tullahoma Head Start program. Uh, we did our angel tree uh, back at Christmas and back before Christmas there. Uh, and it was such a wonderful blessing there. Uh, and they sent us a card here with uh, each one of the, the kids that signed, put their fingerprints in it. So it'll be on the board out here if you wanna see that. Uh, we'll have that out there uh, later this morning. Uh, so, but thank you so much for helping us with that ministry uh, late last year. And we'll be doing that again this coming year. They've asked if, if it may be possible that uh, we may uh, help with also not only the Tullahoma one, but the Winchester one, if they don't have any other churches uh, who step up to help uh, with that. So we'll let you know more about that as it gets closer uh, for that. But uh, thank you so much for all that you've done. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us again. Take your hymnals now and let's sing number three. Hymn number three, Worthy of Worship.
pray for us as we sing this morning. Uh, we have a special soloist in this, and uh, she's new to our choir too, so you pray for her as she sings too. Let's sing.
Wow, what words. Stand with us now, and you're going to have to use the words that are on the screen. We're going to uh, sing a Glory and Bill Gaither song this morning, The King is Coming. So join us on all, all three verses. Y'all stand too. The King is Coming. Ladies. chariots rumble I can see the marching throng the flurry of God's trumpets spells the end of sin and wrong regal robes are now unfolding heaven's grandstands all in place heaven's choir is now assembled start to sing amazing grace sounding and now his face I see oh the king is coming the king is coming praise God he's coming for me Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 21. 
I've entitled the message, The King is Coming. It's a different coming uh, than what we were singing about there, but we'll get to that coming in this message uh, because it is a foreshadowing of what Christ is coming uh, to do. And so we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 21, uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 down through verse 9 to begin with. So if you would, let's stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word. Matthew chapter 21, verse 7 down through verse 9. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word and how powerful it is. And Father, I pray this morning that you would use your word, that the gospel would go forth and those who may not know Christ would hear that message, that the seeds of the gospel would be planted in their hearts, that maybe, Lord, there may be some who are, who are ready to come to faith in Christ, and I pray that they would this morning. Others, Lord, of us who are believers, Lord, that maybe things have gotten crowded out in our hearts and our minds uh, with you and making you the priority of our life. I pray this message will speak about that truth to our hearts and our lives also, and that we would fall under conviction and come to the place we need to be. So bless your word this morning. May it be powerful. May it be alive. May it uh, just do its work in our hearts to renew our hearts, renew our minds, to bring us, Lord, to the place of repentance. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, this isn't Palm Sunday, but this is the Palm Sunday uh, passage that we're going to be, that we'll see as we get to Palm Sunday. But it was Palm Sunday, uh, but because of a sore throat, this five-year-old little boy had stayed home from church with the babysitter. When the family got back home, uh, Johnny asked them what what they what they had brought. They brought these palm uh, branches with them, and he asked, what is all that about? Uh, and his father told him, he said, well, people held them, held them over Jesus' head as he walked by. That's what the father told him. And then Johnny, he said, wouldn't you know it, the one Sunday that I don't go, he shows up. <laughs> we pray the Lord shows up this morning in our hearts and in our lives. Because on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he entered through the Eastern Gate. Masses of people greeted him, shouting and cheering and casting palm branches in his path, taking their cloaks off and throwing them across the path also. As they cried, what we saw there in verse nine, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That week of the passion, which is followed by the resurrection, begins right here. Now Matthew had te- tells us uh, that Jesus has left Perea uh, crossing the Jordan at Jericho. You remember that he restored the sight of some blind men there uh, from Jericho. That little group who followed him from there made their way up 
to Jerusalem. They arrived at Bethany, uh, the home of Simon the leper. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were there. Uh, and then uh, to, the most, uh, to the most important mountain uh, related to both the past and future events in human history, to the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And it was there on the eastern slope that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Before he did that, you remember we talked about this last Sunday night. If you don't come on Sunday nights, I'd encourage you to go back and watch the message. Uh, it talked about Jesus weeping and how he weeps uh, over our sinfulness. There was Jesus who looked out from the Mount of Olives over Jerusalem and he he was broken in his heart and that shortest verse in all the Bible uh, he tells us Jesus wept but here is Jesus on this day with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, uh, and and then we're gonna see uh, that here that nothing speaks louder than the timing of Palm Sunday because faithful Jews streamed into Jerusalem from the corners of the earth. Think about this, over 250,000 lambs were bought or purchased to be slain at the sacrifices for the Passover. The whole city was united in one eager purpose to fulfill what God had commanded Moses almost 15 centuries before. And so the arrival of Jesus on the 10th, of, of 10th day of the month of Nisan in AD 30 was one of the greatest months and moments in all of history. Jesus hit Jerusalem with pinpoint accuracy. He came on the very day, the very hour that God had appointed for his presentation to the nation. And so the world, uh, he, he was presented to the world as God's Passover lamb. And so it was an exact fulfillment of a precise prophecy. And with divine accuracy and incredible timing, he comes on that Palm Sunday, the week before resurrection morning. Uh, and so notice the, the amazing accuracy of God's plan. You can go back to the book of Daniel and see it in Daniel uh, in chapter 9 and verse 24 down to verse 27 that says 70 weeks or 70 heptads or, or periods are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, that's after the, they come back from the exile. So after the word went to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Uh, some versions say it, he shall be cut off, but not for himself. So it's clear when you read the book of Daniel uh, that the prophetic period ended uh, at very close to the time when Jesus officially offers himself uh, for the reception as the king of Israel. Instead of being crowned, however, we find out that he was crucified, which goes back to what it was said there in Daniel. He was cut off, but not for himself. And so this was God's perfect plan, God's perfect time, the day of Christ's official coming as the promised prince. John tells us in his gospel, 
Jesus came to his favorite home. We looked at that passage last week over in John chapter 12. There with Mary and Martha and Lazarus six days before the Passover. That would have been Friday night before the, the following week. And so Jesus had walked from Jericho uh, with Bartimaeus. Remember, Bartimaeus went with him. Uh, to Bethany on Friday morning. And, and so on Friday night to Saturday night, the Sabbath, he rests with them. That's when Mary anoints his feet with that precious ointment. And on Sunday morning, John chapter 12, verse 9 through verse 10, a crowd comes to see him and Lazarus that he had raised a week uh, last week from the dead. And so then uh, later that same crowd leads him into Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And so this is the schedule Jesus follows. If that's the schedule he follows, it would make the entry into Jerusalem by Jesus to be the same day, get this, that the Passover lamb was to come into their homes and stay with them until it was killed for each family's Passover feast. What a picture of what Jesus has come to do. His crucifixion that would happen on Friday would result in a perfect fulfillment of being the Passover lamb because that was when they were also killing their lambs. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it was the very day that God had been asking his people to pick their lamb for their sacrifice. And so for nearly 1,500 years, it was this day that God said, go pick out your lamb, your substitute your substitute pick out a lamb to die in your place pick out a lamb to shed its blood so that your sins will not face my wrath he said I ask you to choose your lamb so this passage we're reading here is the beginning of the end of the earthly life of Jesus that's the best way to describe Matthew chapter 21. For all of the chapters that we've seen in the Gospels in this journey through the life of Christ that we've been on, uh, from, from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth, all throughout Galilee and the northern area, Capernaum, Gennesaret, into the Galilean areas of Tyre and Sidon to, to Mag Magdalene and to, to Caesarea Philippi and into Jericho and Judea and now uh, into that southern area there, into the capital city there of Jerusalem, where entering the last week of Jesus's life on this earth. So for three years, Jesus had preached, he had taught, he had healed, and now during this Passover week, he's entering the holy city. It would be difficult uh, to, to exaggerate the significance of the events that transpire in the remainder uh, of the gospels. Over a period of eight days, Jesus enters Jerusalem. We're going to see that he cleanses the temple. He challenges the religious leaders. Uh, he institutes the Lord's Supper. He gets arrested, is tried, crucified, and then raised from the dead on the third day. This is the week that all of creation has been waiting for. Back in the garden in Genesis, God had promised the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 15, where he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so the Son of God 
Jesus Christ ultimately fulfilled that promise, crushing the head of the snake by his death and his resurrection. So the events of this week had been planned before the foundation of the world. And understand this, it wasn't just a climatic time for Jesus in his life. It's the climatic week for all of history. About a third of the Gospels are devoted to the last eight days of Jesus' life. And so up to this point, Jesus has told those who were healed not to tell others because it wasn't time yet. Uh, for his full identity and his purpose to be more fully revealed. Uh, and, and so you remember when he healed the, the two blind men we studied about way back in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27 to 31, Jesus warned them, don't tell anybody. It wasn't because he didn't want them proclaiming. It was just wasn't the time yet at that moment for him to be known as who he was. And so at the end of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus again healed two blind men when he was there in Jericho, but this time he didn't give them any such warning. He didn't say, don't go tell. And, and so then you come to Matthew 21, and Jesus asserts himself as the Messiah, the one who is the promised king who had come to save his people from their sins. But he wasn't a king just for the Jews only. We're also a part of that because he was a king of the Gentiles also. Uh, we're called to submit every part of our lives to his rule and to his reign. So Jerusalem at Passover, think about this. It was a season of great celebration for the Jews. But it was a time of despair for the Romans. Thousands uh, of devout Jews came from all over the world to this holy city. Their hearts were filled with excitement. There was a nationalistic fervor. The population of Jerusalem more than tripled during this feast. And that would make it necessary uh, for the Roman military units to, to be on special alert. They probably even brought in extra troops for those special occasions, and especially this one, because this is one of the biggest that they would have. Uh, they lived with, with the possibility that, that there might be some uh, enthusiastic Jewish zealot who might try to kill a Roman official or, or maybe incite a riot. There had been those who had done that in the past. So there was always that potential for disputes among the various Jewish religious groups even. And so into this situation came God's servant, Jesus Christ, with, with less than a week remaining before he would be crucified outside the city walls. And so in this section, we see some miracles that I want you to see, three miracles as Jesus comes to Jerusalem. They're not the kind of miracles we would think of in the form of physical miracles, because when Jesus visited Jerusalem, his ministry differed entirely from his Galilean ministry. You think about in Galilee, Jesus taught on many subjects. He taught on many different things. He used lots of parables when he spoke. But when he comes to Jerusalem, he's focused on only one thing, the question of who is the Messiah, his Messiahship. And so he, he spends his time proclaiming strongly uh, that he was beyond any question the Messiah. 
And there was a reason for that because Jerusalem was the capital of Palestine and the temple itself was there. Jerusalem was the, the hub. It was the center of, of all their Jewish life and their worship. And, and as we said, that population of Jerusalem and the surrounding suburbs of the cities ranged in the, in the area of hundreds of thousands. Uh, for example, Bethphage and Bethany, even Jericho uh, was a city of sizable population. And that was only about 17 miles away. And, and so the temple required at this time over 20,000 priests alone, not counting all the Levite helpers who, who must have been numbered even more. If there was any place where Jesus would proclaim that he was the Messiah, it would be in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was a city that held every sort of person who had been born and who was yet to be born. Jerusalem was going to hear the truth of God's Son and of God's great love for the world. And so the people of Jerusalem and the people born thereafter were, were left without any excuse. There's no louder declaration of our Lord's Messiahship than the triumphal entry. He was picturing that he was the Messiah, deliberately proclaiming that he is the son of the living God. But the triumphal entry was something else as well. Jesus was also dramatically warning the people. And so when we look at these three miracles, I also want you to see the warning that he, that he brings. Uh, they had, there had to be a change in their concept uh, of who the Messiah was. He wasn't coming as some national hero to save the world physically and, and materially by overthrowing the Roman and Gentile governments of the world. You know, all too often, that's what we're looking for today. Some nationalistic leader who will overturn everything and, and reinstitute Christianity as the, the, the religion of our nation. Let me under, let you know, that's not going to happen just like it wasn't going to happen here. Jesus didn't come to set up some, some, to be some nationalistic hero. He was coming as the king of peace to save the world spiritually and eternally. Spiritual and eternal salvation has to happen first. And then one day he is going to return to bring peace and a national salvation. But he had to come first as the king of peace. Later he's coming as the conquering king. This was the beginning of Jesus' last earthly week. He's the only one worthy of our adoration and, and, and the abandonment of our lives to him. And so in this chapter alone, we see these attributes here. We see these miracles. I want you to see the first one, the miracle of the preparation. The miracle of the preparation for this day, for this triumphal entry. Notice in verse 1 down through verse 3, we see Jesus' instructions foretold. So uh, verse 1 down through verse 3 of chapter 21 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. 
So on the road, Jesus took uh, a traveler, uh, would first arrive at Bethany, and then come from Bethany uh, to Bethphage, about two miles from Jerusalem. The elevation at this point is about 2,600 feet. Uh, from it, you have a breathtaking view of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus was about to do something that he had never done before, something he had repeatedly cautioned others not to do for him. He was going to allow his followers to give a public demonstration in his honor. And so he sends these two disciples to, to Bethphage to get the colt uh, and the donkey there that he had needed for this event. In, in ancient days, the colt was a, a noble animal. It was used in service uh, to carry the burdens of the people. But more significantly, it was used by kings and their emissaries when they entered a city in peace. They rode a colt, they rode a horse uh, to symbolize their peaceful intentions. This differed dramatically from a conquering king. When a king entered a city as conqueror, he rode a stallion. Jesus was dramatically demonstrating two things for the people. One of the things he was saying is that he is the promised king, the savior of the people. <coughs> Secondly, he was saying to them, I'm not coming now as a conquering king. So this colt, this donkey was, was a symbol of peace, that Jesus came to bring peace. He came upon this uh, colt, this donkey here, symbolizing that he came to serve men. He came to bear the burdens for them. It was a symbol of sacredness. It had never been ridden before. Animals and things that were used for sacred or religious purposes had to be animals or things that had never been used before. And that detail points to the sacredness of this event. It pictured for everyone who would see it, that Jesus was deliberately proclaiming he is the sacred hope, the only hope for our lives. Then we see also his instructions fulfilled. So they go, and what do they find? They find here's what they, they found. You know, in verse 4, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fall of the beast, a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. So uh, they get this colt, this lowly donkey animal. Uh, in that day, uh, it was looked on as an animal sometimes that was fit for a king. But Jesus needed this donkey uh, to say that he could fulfill the messianic prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. <coughs> now when you read Mark's gospel, Mark doesn't quote this verse or refer to it because he's primarily writing to Gentile readers. Matthew is writing to Jewish readers. So Matthew does record this verse. So in fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus is accomplishing two things. He's declaring himself to be the king, and he's de deliberately uh, challenging the religious leaders. And so it sets in motion that official plot that leads to his arrest, to his trial, and then to his crucifixion. Because these Jewish leaders, they had decided that they weren't going to arrest him during the feast. But God had determined otherwise. This is when it's going to happen, 
and it's going to happen like this. So the Lamb of God had to die at the Passover. So we see the miracle of prophecy also. When you go back to verse 4 and verse 5, that goes back and looks at that proclamation that comes from uh, Zechariah there. And so there's not only the miracle of the preparation, there's the miracle of the prophecy. And you see in verse 4 and verse 5, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, uh, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. So get the picture. Here's this first scene that involves this this colt, this donkey, which symbolizes Jesus came in peace. Notice an important fact here. The stress of these verses is is the painstaking details that had to be followed. They were followed to the most minute detail. Jesus had a reason for making such detailed preparations to enter Jerusalem because he was deliberately fulfilling that prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9. And so that prophecy said four things. One of the things it says is say to the daughters of Zion. Now who is Zion? Zion is Jerusalem. So he's saying say to all Jerusalem, say to all my people. Jerusalem was to be told they were to be giving, been given this threefold warning. Why did they need to be warned? Because what they, what they expected was not what was going to happen. Not like they wanted it to. And so here's the threefold warning. Here's the first part. Behold, your king is coming to you. That's the first warning. Jerusalem's king was coming, just like they had expected. For generations, they had been looking for the Messiah to come. (coughs) And so Jesus is saying here in what he's doing and through this prophecy, behold, your king is coming. They were correct in that part of their expectation. But there was danger in their expectation, the danger of being so fervent in their own expectancy and ideas that they missed what really happened. Your king is coming, but he came differently than they expected. What a lesson for us, that we ought to guard against reading into scripture what's not there, especially in looking towards the return of our Lord. We shouldn't add to what God has already revealed in his word. So that's the first warning. Notice the second warning. Your king is coming to you humble. The Messiah was coming in humility, in meekness, not as a reigning monarch. He was coming to win the hearts uh, and lives spiritually of the people and eternally, not physically and materially. So he's warning them, this is not what you've expected. It's different. I'm coming to win your hearts to save your souls. And then the third warning, your king comes mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The Messiah wasn't coming as a conqueror riding on a white stallion. He was coming as a king of peace riding on a young colt. He was coming to save the world peacefully, to reconcile the world to, to, to the God of love and reconciliation. He wasn't going to kill people and overthrow their governments, the, Roman, uh, the Romans and the Gentiles. He was coming to win their hearts and to win their lives with the good news of the gospel that God loves and God reconciles. Get this, that is what we as the church are to be about today. 
sharing the gospel, that it would change people's hearts from the inside out. Not to try to change things from the outside in. Our primary focus is to share the good news. Now again, notice the prophecy and the careful preparation Jesus made to fulfill this prophecy. This says something. Jesus is declaring his Messiahship so clearly that nobody could fail to see and understand that he was God's Messiah, and yet most everybody did. Notice the miracle of the presentation in verse 7 through verse 13. So Jesus makes a presentation as he comes riding in on a donkey that's saying something to the people there in Jerusalem. But here they are. They've been gathered along the streets. They've been hearing about all the miracles. They heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Everybody wants to come and to see Jesus because they're not thinking what he's saying in his presentation and the way he's coming. They see him on the donkey, but they're not getting it. He's not coming as the conquering king. He's coming as the suffering servant. So notice verse 7. Verse 7 goes on to say, They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Notice that Jesus received the worship of the disciples, the reverence and the recognition. They did exactly what he asked, despite the uncertainty of the situation. You want us to go get a donkey? What do we need to go get a donkey for it? I mean, can't we just walk into the city? I mean, we've been walking all this time. Why, why do we have to do it this way? Jesus had a purpose and a reason for doing it this way. Uh, they probably had no money uh, to buy or rent the animals. <coughs> and they certainly were probably going to be questioned, why do you want this donkey? And so Jesus tells them, just tell them uh, that the master, that the Lord needs them. And, and so that was to be the word that they would understand this was for Jesus. Uh, notice the other act of honor. There wasn't any saddle for him to sit on. So they took their own outer garments off and they threw them over this animal. Jesus was now unmistakably claiming the dignity and the rights of a king. He wasn't washing feet now. Nor was he portraying himself as a servant of men. He was deliberately accepting the people's honor and their reverence. But notice something else of critical importance. In claiming that dignity and the rights of a king, he was doing it in the most humble practice of his day. Riding into town on a colt, a donkey, instead of on that conquering stallion. He was rejecting all the ideas and all the ideas of, a, of an earthly and material kingdom. He had come to save Jerusalem and this world through peace, not through war. Notice also the second scene is this triumphal entry itself. This symbolized that Jesus had come to save now. That's what the word Hosanna means uh, in, in what they say. Uh, so notice in verse 8, it says most of the crowd, so not everybody uh, was in agreement with what was happening, but most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So there's this great crowd of people. Uh, they were proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of David who had come to deliver them. 
And from their perspective, they're thinking he's still that nationalistic uh, Messiah who's to come to deliver them from Rome, to deliver them from the Gentile rule. And so by riding the colt there, Jesus was saying he had come to save them now, but he had come to save them through his precious blood. John tells us this. In fact, he says that there were so many people that the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said one to another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And it began to threaten their power and their prestige. The crowd of disciples had already been following him. The pilgrims on their way to the Passover feast joined the caravan. The residents of Bethany and Bethphage and even those who had come from Jericho uh, had joined with him. Uh, They were already in Jerusalem and they began to rush out seeking for him. There was an enormous crowd of thousands who were lining the roadway as Jesus uh, was helped atop that colt, that, that donkey, and began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Think about that scene. Maybe two million or more gathered in Jerusalem every year for the Passover feast. Thousands upon thousands were strict religionists. They believed in the Jewish Messiah. Multitudes had heard. Multitudes had come. And so the whole thrust of this picture points to growing crowds, thousands searching for him, rushing out to welcome him. Notice on down verse 9 to verse 11. And the crowds <coughs> went before him, that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And they began to strip off their cloaks and cut down branches and line the road for him. They began to receive him as the Messiah, shouting, Hosanna, save us now. That comes from Psalm chapter 118, verse 25 and verse 26, that says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Jesus knew they were quoting a messianic psalm, but he lets them go on. I wonder what the Romans were thinking as they're watching all of this festive demonstration. After all, they were experts in parades. They were official in those official public events. Uh, We call this the triumphal entry, but no Roman would have used that term. They would have said Roman triumph. Uh, When a Roman general came back uh, to Rome after completing a conquest, he was welcomed home with an official parade, showing off his trophies of war, his well-known prisoners that he had captured. The victorious general would ride in in a golden chariot. Priests would burn incense in his honor, and the people shouted his name and praised him. The procession would end at the arena where the people were entertained by watching the captives fight with the wild beasts. That was Roman triumph. Jesus' triumphal entry was nothing like that. But it was a triumph just the same. He was God's anointed king and savior. Notice the final scene in verse 12 and verse 13. 
They praised him as their Messiah, still missing the point. He's come to save their souls. And Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. In Mark's gospel, Mark says it this way. This is what happened. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all those things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. So it tells us Jesus goes in. He looks all around and sees everything that's going on in the temple. And he goes over to Bethany again with the twelve. And then Jesus enters into the temple the next day and, and comes and does this turning over uh, the money changer's table. But while he's there, he's standing off someplace over in the corner looking at all that's going on. He's, he's looking to see if God's will is being done. The next day he's going to come back, overthrow those money changer tables. But today it took courage to stand there. The Jewish authorities were seeking some opportunity to take his life. And they were upset more than ever because he had come in riding into Jerusalem proclaiming to be the Messiah. They were stirred with a fervency and an anger. But despite everything, here's Jesus who stands there in all of his humility. And after looking into that temple where he would return the next day, he leaves the city. He spends the night in Bethany, no doubt spent time in prayer, seeking and preparing for what's about to come. He's coming as a king of peace. But here's the thing we get for us because we know the end of the story. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is no longer pictured coming riding on a donkey. He's riding on the war horse. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Just like John had written about him in John chapter 1 verse 1. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He may have come as the peaceful king when he came in all humility to down that cross and to be resurrected from the grave, but one day he is coming as our king of kings and Lord of lords, the conqueror who we can trust in. King Jesus came the first time humbly, but he's coming the second time sovereignly. If you haven't given your heart and your life to the king on that last day, it's going to be too late. He won't be coming to rescue sinners, but to rule over sinners. He won't come to be crucified as king. He'll come to be crowned as king. So what should we do? How does all this apply to us? Three quick things. Let us give Jesus praise. The praise that begins as you gladly surrender to this king 
today. Not a false praise. Not a praise that says on the first of the week, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then at the end of the week says, crucify him, crucify him. But a genuine praise in our hearts to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Secondly, let us prioritize our prayer. Praying to God uh, was one of the purposes of God's house, the temple in the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus says, you have made my house a den of thieves, of robbers. Is to be a house of prayer. God dwells in his people. And we need to be a people of prayer. We need to continually seek this king every day. In a day where we're bombarded with, with commercialism and consumerism and materialism, when our religion is so filled with so much stuff and so much activity, don't forget to talk with God in prayer through Jesus the King. And then finally, we need to bear fruit in our lives. Don't be like Israel, having all the signs of outward religion, but lacking the spiritual fruit. He hates profession without practice. We shouldn't have songs on our lips without surrender in our lives. The king desires and deserves more than some hollow worship, more than some hypocritical religion, be on guard in your hearts. So what are we asking God for that can only be accomplished by his power? Have we asked him uh, to give us an, an impact for the nations such that he alone gets all the glory? Let us have faith as his church. We have every reason to be confident in Jesus no matter what lies ahead. The king can and will do the impossible when we ask. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've seen in this triumphal entry. And Father, I pray this morning that we have seen Jesus coming in all humility when people wanted to lift him up and as king physically. He came in all of his humility so that he could humbly die on the cross in our place. Lord, I pray we've heard that message this morning, that if we're here and we have never trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for us. Lord, I pray that we'd just call out to him and ask him for that salvation, repenting of our sin, turning our hearts and our lives over to him and asking him to help us to live for him all the days of our life. So Lord, if someone prays something like that in their heart and in their life this morning, may they come to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, there are others who are here as believers. And many times along the way, we have let the commercialism and the materialism of this world crowd out the time we need to be honoring you and praising you with all of our heart so that the nations of the world will know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you have come to save them from their sin. Lord, help us to do that before it's too late before that day that the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes as the King of Kings. Father, I pray for your will to be done in this invitation this morning. Have your way in your will and may your spirit move. In Jesus' precious name we pray. 
Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us. Number 311, as the Lord speaks to your heart, will you come this morning? Would you stand? If you are tired of the load of your sin, let Jesus come into your heart. If you desire a new life to begin, let Jesus come into your heart. Let Jesus come into your heart. Fountains for cleansing are flowing nearby. Let Jesus come into your heart. Just now your doubtings give over. Just now reject him. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for that message. Uh, before I get into announcements, Matt, I believe you have. We've got our Share Sunday going on this afternoon at 4. So if you would like to join us in going to the mall and praying for uh, people in our community and sharing the gospel with them, please come and join us at that time. And we will meet upstairs uh, in the youth room, and then we'll head out about 4.15. Also, a couple opportunities. Uh, coming up, we have our uh, VBS uh, a, a meeting. I'm about to say I want us <laughs> VBS meeting coming up in March third, March fifth. And if you are interested in helping out, or you want to see where you might be able to fit in and and what that looks like, uh, that March fifth at four o'clock will be that meeting for you. And so some of you have already talked about VBS, and so if you would still please come to that, so we can also begin to look at decorations and get some orders in so we can uh, get that ball rolling. And so if you are, like I said, March 5th, circle it on your calendar at four o'clock and you know, you can talk to me or Pastor Jim or call Amy at the office if you got questions uh, about uh, some of that. Also, we have a couple openings that we need some help with uh, when it comes to chaperone. Uh, we need a female volunteer chaperone for our Centra Kid Camp uh, this year uh, and so something came up and Amanda's not able to do that. So if you're interested in you know, taking some kids to camp with Stan Smith, uh, you'll have a great time and you'll, have, you'll find all kind of energy you never knew you had. And so uh, please you know, uh, come talk to me about that. We'd love to uh, be able to tell you more information about that. And so it won't cost you a thing, it's just your time and an opportunity to invest in kids. And so, uh, but with that, that's everything, thank you.
Matt, we appreciate it very much. Uh, spring come up, a lot of activities going on, so a lot of things. Uh, there's several items in your bulletin. I'm not going to read them. You can go through them just as well as I can, but there's sign-ups, events going on. Uh, the whole month of March, there's a lot of activities, so please read that and sign up as appropriately. Uh, a couple of prayer concerns. Uh, Robert Everett uh, with some medical issues. We want to continue to be with him. Uh, Wanda Nichols remains at home under hospice care, so please be with uh, in prayers for her and Todd. And then, of course, we want to continue to be with Marilyn McClendon as her mother passed away this past week. And if there's no other announcements, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. If you join me. Our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for the day you've given us. Such a beautiful day to, to reflect upon, Father, and we're just, just so thankful for all the love and the blessings you give us. Father, we uh, have shared several things this morning. There's many events going on, and we just ask, Lord, that you would be with uh, the many individuals that have special prayer concerns, uh, those that may be going through uh, illnesses and surgeries uh, uh, and, and deaths in families. Father, just be with each and every one of the needs as are there. Father, we just ask you to continue to bless our church. You've provided us with so much, our Awana program and daycare. And uh, as Vacation Bible School approaches, Lord, we just ask that uh, uh, you be with, each, all the, be with all the individuals and, and uh, as we minister to all these young people. Father, we just ask that all we do as we go out into the world, that, that Father, others would uh, see you through our actions. And Lord, we just ask you to continue to bless us and guide us this day. Forgive us, Lord, and we fail thee. All these things we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.